Hi, this is Ben Lola, Back to the Bible Canada. On today's program, we continue our series with Dr. Neufeld entitled Skillful Living, studying the subject of wisdom. Focusing on Proverbs 3, verses 1 to 12, we'll examine the theme of counting on God. So let's go back to the Bible. I want you to imagine a man trying to get across a frozen lake in the middle of the winter. He needs to get across, but he's afraid the ice will break through and he'll be plunged to his death. He gets down on his hands and knees in fear and inches his way across, hoping that if he hears cracking underneath him, he'll be able to spread his weight sufficiently so they will be able to crawl off. And as he creeps across the frozen river, he notices that his hands and knees are getting horribly cold, and he begins to feel a burning sensation in his hands. He knows it's frostbite, but he must be careful, and he proceeds oh so slowly. And then suddenly he hears a sound. Oh, it's a roar. Is it the ice caving in? Is it death now claiming him? But no, no ice is breaking. And as he looks around, he notices a string of pickup trucks driving across the ice, dragging huge trailers behind them. They're ice fishermen out for the weekend, shouting in joy to each other, driving on the very same ice that he is timidly crossing. See, some people are like that with the promises of God. They're timid and afraid, unsure, and they hold back, and they don't get far, while others charge forward with great confidence and great joy. Today, we're going to read 12 verses, Proverbs 3, 1 to 12. These verses present us with a series of six sayings, and each of these sayings contains both a command and then a promise. Well, let's read. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Some of the commands in this passage sound scary, and they frighten the faint of heart. They can feel like you're crawling across a frozen lake. But the promises tell you that the ice is thick and they invite you to count on God. Proverbs 3 invites the seeker of wisdom into an adventure of faith that the reason for acting in wisdom is because you can count on the promises. Let's look at each command and promise in turn. First, from verses 1 and 2, we learn that delighting in God's commands brings a long, contented life. Let's start with a command. The command begins with the words, Do not forget. Then in the next line, let your heart keep. Now, behind these words are not only the directives that we must be completely familiar with God's commands, but also that we must delight in them. It's the same attitude found in Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. We see that the love for God's commands drives the psalmist to remember God's commands. The same is true for wisdom, which is what Proverbs is all about. If you love wisdom, you will remember wise Proverbs. If you don't love wisdom, you will forget wise Proverbs. Now comes the promise. 
If you remember the Proverbs about wisdom, you will live long and peace. The Hebrew word is shalom, that is, tranquility and fullness will be added to you. You'll have what everyone is looking for, a long, contented life. Now here you might wonder, are you saying that I'll live longer if I love wisdom? Is that true? Is that a guarantee? See, there are those who believe that the book of Proverbs promises too much. No one had more wisdom than Jesus, and he was cut down in his 30s. Many of God's people have been martyred, and many a wise person has contracted cancer and died before his or her time. Anyone can think of countless examples where that's just not so. Now, before we come to a conclusion as to what Proverbs is or is not saying, let's make sure we understand the book as a whole. First of all, Proverbs does seem to promise health and wealth to the wise. For instance, Proverbs 14.24 says, The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. You know, at first glance, this is everything that the health and wealth preachers are talking about. Is this really what Proverbs promises? Well, yeah, but not always. For instance, Proverbs 11.16 says, A gracious woman gets honor, and a violent man gets riches. Here, riches are promised to a wicked individual. Furthermore, Proverbs 13.23 says, The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. In many times and in many places, wise, righteous people are oppressed by evil people, taking away wealth and health. Or consider Proverbs 16, verse 8, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Proverbs understands that sometimes the righteous suffer and are, and are cut off halfway through life. And so it commends to people that wisdom is better than riches. That in those places where you have to choose, choose wisdom. Choose God. Choose to know Him over riches. So what is Proverbs saying? See, there are those Bible teachers who think that Proverbs presents us with only general rules. As a general rule, they say, wise people live longer. As a general statistic, that's because they make lifestyle choices that prevent some of the disasters in life, including stressors, including staying away from violent people, and including giving a care over how we live. But with every general rule, there are all manner of exceptions. That's how some understand Proverbs. But that kind of thinking presents us with other problems. Does this mean that we are to keep the promises of wisdom perfectly, but God will not keep his promises to the wise perfectly? Does that mean that some of God's promises are to be seen as a general rule, but too bad for you if you're just one of the exceptions? And if that were so, what do we make of the sovereignty of God? God rules in wisdom, not by statistical averages. The wise man or woman knows, according to chapter 2, verse 7, that God is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Now, the promises in Proverbs are promises of God, not statistical averages, because statistical averages might point out that successful criminals are among the wealthiest people on the earth. So, how are we to understand this promise of length of days in chapter 3, verse 1? And the answers are found as one reads through the entire book of Proverbs. Consider, for instance, Proverbs 22, verse 8. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. But here's the question. When? And the answer from the verse is implied. Eventually. How long is eventually? God's answer is always the same through the entire Bible. In due season. When God's timing is right. 
It's been said God's justice may grind slowly, but it grinds exceedingly fine. Nothing is overlooked. Everything is perfect. In the end, the one who sows injustice reaps calamity every time. Now look at Proverbs 24, verses 15 to 16. Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. In other words, the righteous do fall many times. They may be cut off in midstream, but they will rise again, even if that time is the last resurrection. Hence, all these promises are to be taken as completely true. And as a New Testament believer, I read Proverbs in the light of Jesus, who conquered death and lives forevermore. I may not see some of the rewards in this book, in this life. Or I may, but I will see all the rewards in this book. Christ, through his resurrection, has guaranteed that. So the fact is that wisdom does lead to a long and contented life. And even if you are persecuted and cut down, you're going to rise. Count on it. In the resurrection of Jesus, we understand how. The wicked will not prosper, but God has promised that the righteous will. It is true that wise living gives life and peace here, but if not, it's still your portion at the resurrection of the righteous. If you delight in wisdom, you will do well. That's a promise. The ice under you is thick. Count on God. Verses 1 and 2 promises that if you do not forget the commandments, it will result in long life and peace. Wisdom rewards well. Now, let's go to the second command and promise found in verses 3 to 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You know, the word love includes acts of charity towards others, like feeding the poor and helping the weak. It speaks of offering forgiveness, and ultimately it speaks of delighting ourselves in God and offering grace to men and women. And if you do that, here now is the promise. You will find good success in the sight of God and man. And when we come back, we'll see what this promise means. If you want to discover what the pursuit of wisdom means in every part of our lives, then this passage in Proverbs 3 is a great start. Getting wisdom doesn't necessarily promise us health and wealth, but God does promise that we will lead long and fulfilling lives, in good times and even in the bad. In fact, as Dr. Neufeld has pointed out, we must see the Proverbs as God's commands and His promises to guide us throughout every stage of life. Stay with us for more teaching right after the break. Thanks for listening today. Real stories, real issues, real truth. There's been an exciting new development at In Doubt, a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. Recently, the team launched what it's calling the Second Generation, which includes a brand new weekly podcast featuring timely and often difficult life themes, including testimonies, interviews, and more. It's part of In Doubt's mission to engage young adults with biblical truth directly on a wide variety of issues. Every week, users can listen to the podcast and engage supporting biblical articles, videos, and testimonies on our new mobile-optimized website. For more information, you can visit indoubt.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Neufeld. Good success means we find favor with God and man. 
We find that we're at peace with God and man. Our relationships are whole, not broken. If you act lovingly, all your relationships will prosper. When? In due season. Now the third command in the promise, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now listen to the promise. And he will make your path straight. Let's begin by concentrating on the reward. To make straight paths means that obstacles will be removed. If God makes your path straight, he will go before you in the path of life. He will remove things that could and would make you stumble, things that would harm you. Many unforeseen difficulties will be removed from your path long before you even get there. You won't even know that they were there. God will already have gone there before you. I wonder how many harmful things there might have been, things we have been unaware of, but things that God in grace and mercy has saved us from. Diseases, financial harm, accidents, people who wanted to harm us. And we weren't even aware that these things never showed up because God made our paths straight. Do you want that? Sure you do. How can you get that? The answer is that we must trust in Him with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. The passage doesn't mean that we never use our intellect. Of course we do. The entire book of Proverbs teaches us how to make reasonable decisions that lead to long-term good consequences. See, not relying on our understanding means we don't rely on our ways of thinking that are not God-centered. We allow God to dictate how we think about things like sex and money and work and marriage, relationships, leisure activities, even future choices. Let God direct your thinking and he will make your path straight. Now to the fourth command and promise found in, in verses 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Again, the pattern continues. First the command and then the reward. So here's the command. Get humble. Get humble. Get humble. Don't think of yourself as if wisdom resides in you. It doesn't. And by nature, you're a sinner and an arrogant fool. Acknowledge that and get humble. You know, I was listening to a secular talk program on the radio the other day, and a man called in castigating religious people, he said, who think they need to go to the divine for advice. What's wrong, he asked, with just good old-fashioned common sense? Now, I'm not opposed to common sense, but here in Proverbs, the issue is not common sense. It's pride. Pride clouds all of our judgment. Furthermore, pride forbids me from acknowledging that there is so much that I don't know and that there's absolutely nothing that God doesn't know. And the promise, if you're humble, is that it will be health to you. You know, I wonder how many diseases are due to stress and anger and anxiety and worry and frustration and bitterness and, and lack of purpose and a lack of joy. See, once you bow your head before God and surrender to His will, Proverbs seems to say that true humility removes diseases. You know, I think that the diseases spoken of here truly refer to the emotional ones, one that you'll never get because you rely on God. See, are you getting convinced that the ice is thick? Can you race forward with confidence in God? Well, let's test that, shall we? Up till now, this passage has been, you know, somewhat theoretical, but now it takes all the principles that we've learned and makes them practical. 
You know, this next passage that we're about to read is, is not the only way. There are many that test whether we're crawling forward cautiously on the ice or we're driving with our four-by-fours in great confidence, saying with joy, I'm counting on God. And so fifth, first fruit giving brings financial wealth. Look at verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So here we go again. First a command, then a promise. And here's the command. Honor God with your money by committing the first fruit to him. Now, a first fruit is not just the best that we have. It's the thing you get first. In Exodus 22, verses 29 to 30, it included the first of the harvest, the the first of the cattle, even the first of your children, which you would redeem with money. From this principle came the principle of tithing. And then according to verse 10, your barns will be filled with plenty, your vasts bursting with wine. In other words, you will have more than enough. Now, I know that this verse has been misused by those false teachers that promise that if you send them your money, you're going to end up rich. But try to remember the eternal perspective. Honor God with the first fruit of your wealth, and your barns will overflow. When? In due season. In the light of the resurrection. Furthermore, a healthy practice of first fruit giving, rather than giving as an afterthought, focuses our attention on God who provides richly for his children in the here and now. Now to the last promise and the reward. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves those whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. And by the way, if you want evidence that Proverbs is not giving you a health and wealth gospel on this earth, this passage provides the antidote. Let's remember this passage in the context of all the rest. We have been told that if we delight in wisdom, we'll have a long and contented life. If we commit to love in truth, we will be held in high esteem with God and man. If we trust God completely, he will remove life's obstacles. If we learn humility, we will avoid many of life's physical and emotional diseases. If we practice first fruit giving, we will gain financial wealth. And now we learn that God will correct and discipline us. And the command is that we should not despise this, but welcome God's correction in our lives. And the promise... Well, here the promise is not directly stated, but it is implied. The Father delights in you and has made you the object of his eternal delight. You know, when I was 13 years old and I was in grade 8, I moved into high school and I had an English teacher whom I believed was the coolest man that had ever been created. We never had exams in his class. He never provided us with homework. Indeed, he replaced all our desks with couches and we would sit and interact with each other. I know you guessed it. I was raised in the late 1960s, and I remember when marks were handed out, my teacher asked me what kind of mark I wanted, and he gave me the mark I wanted. I loved that class until the day it was announced he'd been fired. Well, the entire school had a riot. That riot was eventually quelled, and the next week, we were all back at school. I remember walking into my English class. The couches had vanished into thin air, and the the desks had made a comeback. Our new teacher stood at the front of the class, and he didn't smile. His demeanor shocked the whole class, and his body language and the way he handled himself told us all that this was not a man to be trifled with. 
He informed us that first day that we had wasted half a year and that we are going to learn a full year's English requirements in the next half year, and anyone unwilling to accept his rules would be thrown out of the school. Then he told us to open our books and begin to write, and we did. And before that year ended, I came to love Mr. L. Berry. I found out that his stern, demanding, disciplinarian face had a loving heart, and I flourished and I grew under his tutelage. See, God is not unloving, but he deliberately introduces hardship into our lives in order to correct us so that all other things he promises us will in the end come true in the light of eternity. God will not have unwise children. And here is the vast frozen lake of God's promises. We can count on Him. Wisdom may take time, and wisdom will demand that we develop a pellet for it. But undergirding all the commands of wisdom are the promises of God which cannot fail. Years, health, success, straight paths, refreshment for our tired bones, and a barn full of produce, and a father who delights in his children. John, thanks for your teaching today. You know, it reminds me of that expression, there's a grain of truth in almost anything that's said. And I think that's what you're saying in respect to uh, those that would believe in this health and wealth type of uh, theology. There's a grain of truth there, but it's not the whole truth. No, in fact, uh, the great promises of God do promise what those men say, but it does not promise them immediately. In the immediate, we will have to rely on the promises of God, which are related to our eternal future. So indeed, all who trust in God will be entirely healed when we stand before God. Every truth is there, but we may be required to suffer now. The thing that sustains us is the sure knowledge through the resurrection we understand that God's promise will never fail, and so we count on it like a person walking boldly across a frozen lake. Are you walking in the path of wisdom today? Are you living with hope and joy in the promises of God? Well, today we've covered a lot of practical knowledge on how to apply God's wisdom in different areas of our life. But underneath it all is the foundation that if we walk according to His commands, then we can experience His promises, whether in the context of our relationships, our health, our well-being, and much more. I hope this message has helped you to better understand the relevance of what Proverbs teaches with regards to skillful living. And don't miss tomorrow's program where we continue Dr. Neufeld's series with a study on winning the war against sexual sin. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. In case you haven't heard, we're planning an exciting new ministry trip coming in 2017. Hosted by Back to the Bible Canada and Laugh Again, we're taking a small group of 80 guests on a spectacular tour of ancient Greece. It's the New Testament Greece by Land and Sea Tour taking place from April 24th to May 5th, 2017, and it's where you'll discover so many of the incredible locations where the gospel of Jesus Christ first spread throughout the world. Trace the footsteps of Paul during his missionary journey in ancient sites such as Corinth, Thessalonica, Athens, Ephesus, and the island of Patmos to name just a few of our stops. 
experiencing the beauty and history of one of the most stunning countries in the world and be inspired in your walk with God. Eight days by land, four days by sea. We'll be joined by Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, along with Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway and special musical guests. So register today before space runs out. Call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.